In the northern kingdom, Israel, the people continued to turn their backs on God. So God allowed them to be taken prisoner by the nearby country of Assyria. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, Judah, there was a new king named Hezekiah, who was only 25 years old. Hezekiah followed God's ways, removing the idols to false gods. God helped him be successful in all he did. The king of Assyria, who had recently taken over Israel, sent one of his commanders to threaten Hezekiah, telling him that God would not protect Judah from Assyria's attack. So Hezekiah went to a prophet named Isaiah for help. Isaiah was a man who God had spoken through many times. Isaiah assured Hezekiah that God would help them defeat the Assyrians. Late that night, the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 people. The next morning, the remaining Assyrians retreated, terrified. Soon after, Isaiah reminded the Israelites that they were to follow God in all they did. But the people turned away from God again and again, and things continued to get worse for them as a nation. Despite their disobedience, God delivered a promise through Isaiah that a new king and a new kingdom was coming for the Israelites. Isaiah spoke of a man who would one day be rejected by those around him and suffer a terrible death. But somehow, through his death, this man would bring peace and a kingdom that would never end. It's an amazing story, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself this question, what if the United States of America had kings instead of presidents? What would that look like? Well, you may not know this, but back during the Revolutionary War, George Washington was asked to be the king of the colonies. And George Washington, being a man of scripture, said this. He said, there is no king but King Jesus. And so he refused to take on that mantle. I want you to get a sense of the spirit of the colonists in that day. The governor of Boston sent a letter to King George in which he was updating him on what was happening in the colonies, particularly in that colony, and what he said about the people of the United States. Listen to what he said. If you ask an American who his master is, he will tell you that he has none nor any governor but Jesus Christ. At the end of the Revolutionary War, we read these words at the very beginning of the treaty that was entered into by Great Britain and now the United States of America. Listen to these words. We read this. They begin with these words, in the name of the most holy and undivided trinity. Now, is that a great beginning as a nation or what? But where have we gone? Where are we today as a nation? God had warned us that we should not have kings because kings would lead us astray. And indeed, we've seen that happen, haven't we, in these last weeks and this journey through the story of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah? 
We've seen the impact that the kings have had upon the people. And we talked about the incredible impact that leaders can have. So we always have to be very careful about who we are following, who we are laying our lives before, who we are trusting with the direction of our nation. And we see what has happened to the United States is not that dissimilar from what happened to the nation at the time of Isaiah, at the time of Hezekiah, in the readings that you did this week. There is no king but King Jesus. That was a motto that was, that was cried out during the Revolutionary War. The people would remind each other of that reality. The soldiers would remind each other of that truth. There is no king but King Jesus. Now, I can't make the decision for you. I can only make the decision for me. You can't make the decision for your friends or for your children. You can only make it for you. But who is going to sit on the throne of your life? Who is going to be your master? Who are you going to serve? No king but King Jesus. In this section that we're looking at in 2 Kings today, one of the things that I love about the section of Scripture that is far too often ignored by Christians is we get to read the stories of people who really aren't different than you and me. Their world is different, but their needs, their fears, their hopes, their dreams are just like ours. It's just in a different context, in a different world, but it's exactly the same. And so when I read this section of scripture that's often called the history section of the Bible, I'm asking this question, is there an example to follow? Is there an example to avoid? Those are the two questions that I ask. And in just a couple of chapters this morning, we're going to see three great stories. Two of them are examples to avoid. One is an example to follow. And I want you to see the incredible relevance of the Bible to our lives as we seek to lay our lives before it and to allow God to speak to us through it. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father, we ask that you would speak to each and every heart and mind today. Not just those who are here in this worship place today, but those who are worshiping, worshiping with us online. Lord, would you speak to every heart and mind through your eternal truth to transform us, to challenge us. Lord, may we not think about others, but we may we think about ourselves because transforming our homes, transforming our community, transforming our nation, transforming our world begins with our own transformation. That as we are changed, as we live new lives that are even more faithful to the reality that Jesus is our king, transformation can spread from there, but it begins with each one of us. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What got the nation in trouble? was they forgot that the Lord was their king. He was always to be their king. But they got into trouble because they forgot that reality. This morning we're going to look at three kings. One king from the northern kingdom of Israel. Two kings from the southern kingdom of Judah. Two of them, not good examples. 
and they become warnings for us in our own lives. But King Hezekiah, who's the second king we're going to look at this morning, an incredible example to us of how God wants us to live our lives. Here's the first king that I want you to see this morning, and that's Hosea. Hosea is the last king in the northern kingdom of Israel. When his reign ends in destruction, the nation will be destroyed never to assemble again. They would be taken as slaves throughout the Assyrian Empire, planted in different places, and they would never rise up again. In the New Testament, when you read about the, the struggle that the people had with the Samaritans, well, these are the people who had lived in the northern kingdom, most of them taken out of the land. Now you have just a few remaining. Other people come into the land, fill in the areas where God's people have been driven out, and those people who return are now intermarry with the Israelites that have been, the few Israelites that have been left. And that's where we see the, the conflict between the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Simeon, we see that conflict that arises with the people of the northern kingdom, who they call half-breeds, because they are not considered pure Jews. And we'll see that a little later in this 31-week journey that we're taking together. But Hosea was the king who sought security at any cost. Now, I want to suggest to you that security is one of the gods of our American culture. It's one of the gods that we worship. Now, why do I say that? I mean, we don't bow down to security. It's not any, that's a concept. It's an idea. It's not something like made out of gold or silver that we worship. Actually, we do worship security when security becomes of utmost importance to us. When we are making decisions, not in light of how God wants us to live, but when we are making decisions in light of what will make my life most secure, what will make my life most safe, that's when we are worshiping security. When we are making decisions about our future in light of what, what road will bring us the greatest security, instead of saying, what road is God calling me to walk, then we are worshiping security. Hosea was a king who sought security. Now, here's what was happening. And when you hear the story, it kind of makes sense. But the problem was he was disobeying the word of God as the Lord had brought his word to him through the prophets. Remember that Israel, the northern kingdom, lasted about 208 years. During that time, they had 19 kings and nine prophets of God who spoke against almost every king. And these kings, one by one, kept leading the people further and further from God. And so what we see north of the northern kingdom is the great nation of Assyria, a powerful nation, a great military. And this nation, Assyria, had, had, was so powerful that Israel, this small little country, became what we would call a vassal of Assyria. Now, what's a vassal? Basically, they were powerless against Assyria, so they paid tributes to Assyria. Gold and silver, they paid 
to the Assyrian king so that Assyria would not attack them. Well, Hosea did not want that. He wanted security. He knew that at any moment, Assyria could squash him. So what do you do when there's a bully picking on you? What do you do? You find a bigger bully, right? I mean, that's what I did when I was in junior high school. I found a bigger bully. That's what you do. You befriend somebody who's tougher than the guy who's picking on you. And so in disobedience to God, Hosea goes out and he enters into an agreement with the powerful nation to the south of Egypt. And he believes that now he doesn't have to pay tribute anymore. He believes that now he's got security. But security is not going to be found in this military alliance. He's not going to find it here. Listen to what we read here about Hosea. But the king of Assyria, 2 Kings 17, 4, but the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Two things that I want us to see from the life of Hosea. Here's the first one. Beware of ignoring the word of God. In verses 3 and 4, we read this. In chapter 17, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through the prophets and seers. So the word had come to the people, through the people who, prophets who represented God, spoke the word of God as we saw just a few weeks ago. And here was the word, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But here was the response. But they would not listen, and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors, who did not trust in the Lord their God. What does it mean to trust God? It means to do what he commands you to do, even when you don't understand. Even when it's fearful. Even when you don't agree. It's believing that God's word and God's plan for your life is what is best for the kingdom of God. And it's, it's believing that God can use a life, your life, that is surrendered fully to him. To change you and to change the world around you. It's trusting that what God has for you is what is best for you in light of eternity. It's trusting, believing the word of God. But what happened with Hosea was security was more important to him than obedience. He believed that he knew better than God did. And so he enters into this military alliance and it brings destruction to the nation. Friends, I want to ask you this question this morning. Is there an area where you are seeking security in your life and you know you are not living as God intended? More and more what I see, it, particularly in the last 20, 25 years, and I see it in the generation that is coming up now, is that what we are doing as people is we are no different from the people at the time of Hosea. 
We are often a stiff-necked people who do not trust the word of the Lord. Do not believe the word of the Lord. Are afraid to follow the word of the Lord. And so what we do is we back away and we say, I've got a better plan. Maybe that plan is being a little dishonest in your life. Maybe that plan is seeking pleasure in this world apart from the way that God wants you to live. And it's called you to live. I want to suggest to you that as a nation, we are living as a stiff-necked people. And we're going to see in the, in the story of Hezekiah how we respond to this. Here's a second thing that I want us to learn from the example, example of King Hosea. And that is this. The Lord disciplines for his purposes the Lord disciplines for his purposes. I want you to hear these words that come from verses 4 to 6 of chapter 17. Therefore, Shema Caesar seized him, speaking of Hosea, and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to the kingdom of Assyria, which was a vast kingdom at that point. In other words, the nation was destroyed. Never again to rise up. Never again to be in a position of power. Never again to be a nation together. Now friends, when we hear this, some might say, this sounds very harsh. I mean, why didn't God just wait for them to get their act together? Remember that God had waited 200 years. He had been incredibly patient. Nine prophets had come to the land to speak on behalf of the Lord, and the people refused to listen. Only uh, people only responded to one of the prophets. And that was the prophet Jonah. And the people were not the people of God. The people who responded were the people of Nineveh. And so, friends, God had given them, had been incredibly patient with them. God has been incredibly patient with us as a nation. And we need to heed these words. We need to heed this example. And we need to be those who speak the word of God into the dark areas of our world. We need to speak God's truth with gentleness, with respect. We need to speak in a way that our, world, our culture does not speak today. What we see is the division, divisiveness when people speak. As God's people, we need to speak in a way that is respectful in a way that shows honor to, those, to other people because we are all made in the image of God. We need to be bold. We need to be honest. We need to be real. We need to be authentic. But we need to speak as those who love them and have a heart for them because God loves them and has a heart for them. Now, when we see this, I think about, and we're going to see it happen to Judah next week. But when I look at this, when I consider this, one of the things that I think about is being a parent. When my children were growing up, 
They didn't understand the parameters of the world. In fact, uh, when they were two years old, they began to do things that uh, we would say no to. And then we would we'd say, go clean your room, they'd go do something else. And so we had to come to the point where we disciplined our children. Not because we didn't love them, but because we loved them. So why does God discipline? Remember that God had called the nation to be a representative of him. They were to be an example of those who followed God for the whole world. They, they were to be light to the world. And now they're living in ways that dishonor God. They are no longer light, but they're reflecting darkness. And so for God not to bring his judgment and discipline to them would be an act of not loving them. Because he needs to set them on a different course. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I want you to see what happened with Hosea. Because we see it happening today. We're not trusting in the Lord as a nation. And I, don't, I think by and large the church of Jesus Christ in America is not trusting God. You are the church. I am the church. And we are to reflect the light of God through our obedience and our trust in him. When people see us, they should see the character of God. When they see the way we love, the way we forgive, when they see the, the gracious way that we live, when they see the hard decisions that we make to live in obedience to God through integrity, through honesty, when they see that the way, the way that we live, they should know who God is. But tragically today, when people look at the American church, they don't see a lot of difference between the church, how the people of the church live, and how the people of the world live. That should not be. Every one of us needs to ask the hard question. Am I trusting in the Lord in my life? Am I reflecting the light of the Lord? Here's the second king that I want you to see. And this is King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is the king who sought the Lord at any cost. I want you to hear this incredible, this incredible passage from 2 Kings 18, verses 5 to 7, that describe Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is a king in the southern kingdom of Judah. Much smaller, just two of the 12 tribes, much smaller. And here is a description of Hezekiah. Compare that to the description we just read of Hosea. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. If you have your own Bibles, underline that. He held fast to the Lord. What would that look like in your life? To hold fast to the Lord. And did not stop following him. Isn't that a great description? See, here's a positive example of how God wants us to live. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Do you see the difference between Hezekiah and, and Hosea? Hosea continued to serve the king of Assyria until he entered into another um, tribute to the king of Egypt. You see, 
Hosea did not trust that God was big enough to protect the nation. And so he thought military alliances were his only hope, even though Isaiah the prophet was warning him. Now you saw in that video that Hezekiah looked to the prophet of God for wisdom. He wanted to know the word of God and how to apply the word of God to his particular circumstance there at that time. We saw just two weeks ago that Jesus continues today as our prophet who speaks to us in many different ways to help us to apply his truth and our relationship with him into the context of life in Chino, California in the year 2022. God is active and leading and guiding as his people seek him. And Hezekiah was one who sought the Lord. And so there are two things that I want you to see here in, in um, Hezekiah. Here's the first one. And this is, this is a, uh, something that, that I learned many years ago that has been a theme in my life. Here's, here it is. The battle is coming. Will you be prepared? The battle is coming. It's coming if it's not already come. Heartache. Hardship, struggles emotionally, financially, socially, relationally, it's coming. Struggles with health, struggles with loss, it's coming. Struggles with emotions and just confusion in life. That day is coming, it comes to all of our shores. But the question is, will you be ready, will you be prepared? I want you to see where I saw this in this past in this, and this is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 30. It's an amazing story. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything that he undertook. A few years ago, uh, Beth and I and a bunch of great friends went to Israel, and a number of us walked the tunnel of Hezekiah. Here's what happened. It was a time of relative peace. I say relative peace because Assyria was a problem. They were much bigger, much more powerful militarily than the small nation of Judah. But the word of God had come to Hezekiah that they were not to enter into an alliance with, with um, Assyria. And so he knew that the day was coming. The day was coming when the battle would come to the very gates of Jerusalem itself. And the people would be locked into the gates for a very long time. So in this time, I hear this, in this time of relative peace, what did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah had a tunnel dug from a, a stream outside of the city of Jerusalem. And the streams could be very hidden. And he had that tunnel dug all the way into the city of Jerusalem. So that there was a constant flow of water. Because he knew that when Assyria attacked, and when the battle would come to his gates, that they would seek to keep them from being able to get water as a way to claim victory in battle. Do you see that? So in this time of relative peace, he is preparing himself for the eventuality of battle. Friends, here's something I want to challenge each of us with. What I have seen over the years is that for a lot of us, we get serious about our faith when we're in crisis. 
We get serious about God when something very challenging is happening in our lives. That's when we get close to God. We go back to church. We get serious about church. We read our Bible every day. We pray because we're afraid. We're we're struggling, and we need the power of God in our lives. And so we rise up, and we, and then the battle, the crisis is over, and we go back to our old patterns of life where we're fitting God into our life where it works, but he's not a priority. I want you to hear this. It's something that I've learned in my life personally and as a pastor. Crisis never makes us. It never breaks us but reveals what is already in us. Crisis never makes us or breaks us, but reveals what is already in us. It reveals the quality of my relationship with God. We, many of us, I would say most of us, fall into a pattern. When life is going well, we go to cruise control in our relationship with God. We're just going through the motions. What we need to do is to build a pattern in life where we are seeking God each and every day, where the discipline of reading the Bible, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of of real Christian community, where all of that is a value to us so that God, when that crisis hits, we are already prepared. The walls have been fortified. That's another thing that Hezekiah did, was to fortify the walls of Jerusalem in a time of relative peace. Some of you right now, man, you just, life couldn't be better. Everything's going great. And your relationship with the Lord has become a very low priority. You're one of those that you don't really respond to God until the need is so great and the pain is so deep. Crisis will not make you or break you. It will reveal what is already there. A number of years ago, we had a speaker at a, at a retreat um, that we did at our church for pastors. And we had a number of pastors who were there, and our speaker uh, was a very godly, elderly man who had been a pastor for many years. And I'll never forget the story that he told about his son, who was born with a lot of physical needs, a lot of physical needs. He didn't think that he would live long. His son was now in his 20s. And his practice, this this pastor's practice was every morning to get up early and to spend time alone with the Lord as a priority. And he told the story about this one morning where he just had, he said, I just, you know how sometimes you just feel like God's at a distance at other times, man, it's just, he's like right there sitting with you. And, and that shit happens to all of us. But he had this morning where it just seemed like the Lord was there, just there. He, after his time and this just filled, sense of being filled coming out of that time. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And he went to check on his son as he always did. And his son had passed away during the night. And the grief was profound. But he said, but the Lord knew what I would be facing that morning. And so the Lord came 
and minister to me even before the, I knew the crisis had come to my home. Friends, I've experienced that in my life where God has prepared me before the crisis comes. Most of us wait until after. We need to prepare and restore the walls of our lives in times of relative peace, not just in times of crisis. Here's something else I want you to see from Hezekiah. The battle belongs to the Lord. This is a profound reality. Listen to this. So you're facing cancer. So you're facing a broken relationship with a child or you're facing divorce. Or you're facing just the struggle of losing parents or you're in school, you're in elementary school and, and your friends have rejected you. No matter what battle you face, the battle belongs to the Lord. Hezekiah goes to Isaiah to ask for the word of the Lord about the powerful Assyrian nation. My guess is everything in him wants to do what we all think would make sense, and that is entering into an alliance. But God said, no, no, trust me, trust me. And so what does Hezekiah do? Well, we see it in these verses, 2 Kings 18. I'm sorry, 2 Kings 19. Listen to this. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up, and this is a letter of, of um, threat. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to ridicule the living God. Verse 19. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God. One of the gods of America today is the power of our military. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a powerful military. What I'm saying, it's wrong to think that that is our hope. That is not our hope. Nuclear weapons are not our hope. Our hope is in the name of the Lord, our God. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a powerful army. I'm not saying you don't have powerful government. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that is not our hope and that is not our God. Our God is the Lord our God. And if there is hope for this nation, it comes from you and me graciously speaking truth into culture, graciously communicating the word of God in a way that is respectful, in a way that is honoring. And we are to fall to our knees following the example of King Hezekiah and to ask the Lord to bring revival to the land, to bring another great awakening to the United States of America. 
Do you know that the two great awakenings in this nation happened? After an extensive time, the people of God were in prayer. People were still preaching the same messages, but now they were having a different impact. Because God had gone ahead of those messages and prepared the hearts of the people to not only hear them, not only understand them, but to respond to them and to receive them. Are we on our knees on behalf of our nation? So what happens? There's never a battle. One angel of the Lord went into the camp of the Assyrian army that was camped outside of Jerusalem. One angel of the Lord, one angel, and struck down 185,000 soldiers. What do you think God was saying to Hezekiah? What do you think the message to the people of God was? What do you think the message to us is today? The battle belongs to the Lord. It is not our military ultimately that protects us. It is God who protects us. And we need to understand that and to believe that. We can't put our trust in our military. We need to put our trust in God. We need to put our trust in the Lord. I want to challenge you to join me in praying for a great awakening in America. I want you to invite you to join me in praying for our nation day after day after day that we would see revival, that we would see a great awakening, a spiritual great awakening where the people of our world of our nation, and then our world, turn their hearts to God. Here's the last thing that I want you to see, and it is really extraordinary. Now comes Manasseh. Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah. And it's amazing, after all that Manasseh must have seen, Manasseh does not honor the, the reign of his father. He is described as one of the most evil of all the kings of Judah. Right after Hezekiah, here comes Manasseh. Manasseh reigns for many years. And it brings great destruction to the nation. Listen to this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. I have no idea if you pronounce it that way. I just... He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Whoa. So what he's saying is, he was doing the same things that the Lord had already brought discipline upon other nations for. Manasseh. Manasseh believed that if one king, if one God is good, many gods are better. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Religion without Christ is empty. Religion without Christ is empty. What Manasseh tried to do was to have religion without, with the Lord, but as being just one of many. He's what we call syncretistic. Syncretism, big word, you already know what it means. It simply means this, taking lots of different religions and mixing them together. Every one of us does it. 
We take the religion of money, the religion of security, the religion of relationships. We take all of this and we put it into our Christian faith and we mix it all together. One of the things that I love to do is to ask missionaries from other nations, what do you think God wants to say to America today? Because I live in this culture and I am in some way, shape, or form, uh, one shape or form, formed by this culture, and so are you. And so I want to hear from somebody outside of my culture who's, who can look at my culture differently than I do and can say, hey, this is what I think God would say to America today. And it, I feel personally convicted by these things because I see it in me. Syncretism, okay, yeah, right over here I have Jesus, but I'm going to make sure if he's not enough, I'm going to add all these other things and make them, I'm just going to mix it all together in one pot. Jesus isn't my king. It's not no king but King Jesus. It's I'm going to have a number of, of different kings on the throne of my life. And I replace them as I need them. Okay, Sunday morning, Jesus, there you go. Okay, Monday, it's work. I'm going to put money up there and uh, being successful in the world up there. Okay, now it's Saturday. I'm going to put uh, my kids winning soccer tournaments. I'm going to put that up there because it makes me feel really good. And, and we just keep putting different things on the throne of our lives. That's what Manasseh was like. Manasseh built idols to all different gods throughout the land. It's said that he had Isaiah, uh, this is not in the Bible, but uh, church history records that he had Isaiah sawed in half. It's recorded that he sacrificed one of his own sons to these false gods. This was not a great guy. This was not a good king. He reigned for 65 years. Now, one of the questions I have, God, why'd you let him reign so long? Right? I'm not God. I don't know. I have lots of questions like that. But I want to read this to you. This is an example of syncretism today as Christians. It's a poem written by a guy many, many years ago named Wilbur Reese. It's all, this is always a problem. Syncretism is always a problem. Listen to what he wrote. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love people I don't like or to pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I'm challenged by that. $3 of God just to keep life good, predictable, controllable. So what happens to Manasseh? Well, God brings judgment on Manasseh. Manasseh is taken and, um, and they put a, a, a chain uh, in, in his nose and they haul him off. And he kind of goes crazy. He kind of goes crazy. But listen to what happens. This is the last point I want to make this morning. 
God is always gracious. This is one of the, this picture of God's grace is the most powerful picture of grace apart from the cross that I see in the Bible. It's extraordinary. Most evil of all the kings of Judah, all that he had done, he had killed the prophet of God, all the things that he had done. Here's what happens. 2 Chronicles 33, 12 and 13. Speaking of Manasseh. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And here the last line, then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, it sends tingles down my spine. This man was as evil as they came, abused the power that God had given to him to work against the purposes of God. God brings discipline to his life, and he humbles him. Finally, he humbles himself before God. He, what we call, repents. He prays. He repents. And what happens? The Lord restores him. Friends, it's never too late. The blood of Christ covers all of our sin. It's never too late to come home to him again. It's never too late to come to him no matter what you've done. It's not too late to come to him beginning this moment. If you have strayed from him, it's not too late to come to him this morning right now. He's ready to restore you, to renew you. He's waiting for you to humble yourself and say, Oh Lord, I confess that I have rebelled against you. Lord, restore me. Renew me. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the power of your scriptures that teach, that challenge. Lord, it's my prayer that for any here today, like me, who see the reality of syncretism in their own lives. Lord, that, that they would just confess that to you and they would humble themselves before you and they would ask you to be king again. Lord, we proclaim as a body this morning, there is no king but King Jesus. That is our battle cry. That is our cry of every moment of every day. There is no king but King Jesus. Forgive us for those times when we replace him on the throne of our lives. Call us back to yourself, Lord. We don't want $3 of Jesus. We want 100% as we seek to honor and to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 